Hey, one more time. Good morning. I'm really glad you're here. My name's Ben. You're in the fourth week of our Seaworthy Message series. And today, before I get into the message proper, I want to just brag on you uh, for just a moment, for just a second, if you don't mind. But uh, I get the chance to talk to a lot of pastors. Um, Sometimes somebody will hear about something we've done, or they'll hear from a friend who's connected with the church, and they'll somehow get in touch with me, email usually is how that works, and ask if we can have a conversation. Well, I had one of those this week, and here's, here's what the guy said. They're planning a church a few states away from here, and he's like, Ben, what we want to be able to do is basically do what you guys did in your area. We just want to do it in our area, and I said, you know, I'll be honest with you, you really don't have a hope, um, here, and here's why, because you don't have the people I have. The people we have here at Four Corners, they get it. They understand what we're trying to do. So many of them join on to help make it happen. And unless you have a group of people like that, it ain't going to happen. I was somewhat yanking his chain a little bit. But the truth is, is that unless a group of people who get the mission of Jesus come together, pool their resources, gather their energies together, and then direct it towards what God's called them to do, churches like this don't happen. And while we're not a perfect church, we certainly do a lot of good, and we help a lot of people. And today I want to talk with you about the heartbeat of that and why we do that. And, and honestly, if I can just be completely candid with you and let you see where I'm going right now at the front end, I want to encourage some of you maybe who haven't stepped in all the way to take a step in that direction. We're going to look in our Bibles today at Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your scriptures, you can go there. If you didn't bring them today, when we get to them, they'll be on the side screens. You can follow along there as well. There's a simple principle today as we begin talking about the priority God has for us serving others that I want you to understand. And there's a lot of ways that we can say this, but but here it is in kind of one sentence form. We do what we can do. We do what we can do. And we trust God to do what only he can do. We do what we can do, and we trust God to do what only he can do. This is a principle in life. For all the followers of Jesus in the world, God never comes to us and and says, I want you to do something you're incapable of doing. I want you to do something, and I'm going to stand back and watch you fail. That, That never happens. God never does that. Sometimes God will call us to stretch our faith, to go into an area where we're uncomfortable, to do something that in our own power is impossible. But then he comes alongside us and says, I'm going to help you. And so when you boil the way that God works down in people, there's a lot of ways we can talk about it. But one of the simple ways is is we do what we can do, and we trust God to do what he's going to do. That's the story of this church. It's the story of the church, the big C church, globally for the last couple thousand years. God would move on individual people's hearts, and he would say, I want you to engage. I want you to take a step forward. I want to use you in this way. I want to challenge you in this way. And people felt all kinds of emotions and and, and, and hesitancies and, and felt overwhelmed and, and the burden of the thing, the hugeness of the thing uh, kind of shadowed sometimes their motivation. And yet many of them still took that step forward. And what they discovered was when they did what they could do, God come alongside and did what only he can do. And together, beautiful, awesome, life-changing things happened. That really is the story of this church. It really is how we do what we do. Let me me make a couple things clear to you. If you're our guest today, man, it's a great day to be here because you're going to hear one of the heartbeats of our church. Really, the big C church, the the, the group of people who follow Jesus all around the world, past, present, future, the big C church. But but here, we've tried to live that out practically. We've tried to put it into practice on a a daily level so that people's lives can be changed. And and it's, it's pretty simple. That God wants us to, to reach others, to serve others, to put others first. It's one of the primary disciplines that he wants us to operate in. It's an emotional discipline. It's a calendar discipline. It's a financial discipline that he calls his disciples to. 
And sometimes when you look at followers of Jesus or people who claim to be followers of Jesus and you have this sense inside of you that maybe they're not really there, maybe we throw out the word hypocrite, a lot of times what's happening is is we're not fully living out the value that we're going to be talking about today. We're not living out that value of putting others first, of serving others. And so from time to time, it's very important for followers of Jesus to do a little gut check. To just make sure we get what God's doing in our lives and ultimately what he wants to do through our lives. I don't know if you know this or not, but in our culture, there's a real kind of me first attitude. There's an attitude that says, I wonder what I'm going to get out of it. I wonder what I'm going to get out of this relationship. I wonder what I'm going to get out of this physical connection. I wonder what I'm going to get out of this job. And, And on a certain level, that's totally healthy, normal, and right. It's Healthy people often ask, what am I going to get out of it? But healthy people typically don't only ask what I'm going to get out of it. If you're in a relationship where the other person you're in a relationship with is only asking, what am I going to get out of it and how's it benefiting me, that relationship is probably not very enjoyable for you. Now, it's one of the questions healthy people ask. But the other question they ask is, is what am I going to contribute? What, what, what am I going to give back? How am I going to make a difference? How am I going to add to the thing? This is just a relational dynamic, and the reason it is a relational dynamic in all of human interaction is is because it flows from the heart of our Father, who created the whole world and relationships to begin with, and He wanted us to not just be blessed to receive in our interactions with other people, He wanted us then to also be the blessing. And so when Jesus was on this earth, He spent a lot of time helping people understand that dynamic, and He He made sure that some people observed the interactions that he had with people and moved on their hearts later to write them down and preserve them in letters or in gospels and in stories so that we today could have the example that he left when he walked this earth in front of us, guiding us and pulling us in the right direction. Let me me ask you something. Have you ever volunteered for something for which you felt totally unqualified? And maybe not totally unqualified, but you knew it was going to stretch you. You ever felt that way? I felt that way many, many, many times. One day, a friend of mine said, hey, we're going to, um, I, I don't know, I was in my early 20s or so, and he said, we're going to go over and we're going to set this fence. My, my dad's bought some property, and, and, um, and, and one of the things you have to do to kind of get it ready is just re- reset some fence line. And, and I kind of grew up in the country, at least in a small rural town, and, but I had never gone fence post setting. And so uh, this was not like the old-timey thing where you're just going to dig it out by hand. They had rented a post hole digger, and it was a really amazing uh, machine. It's like an, an auger, and a couple of people hold it, and, 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 and I had never really used one before, so he said to me, hey, hey you think you can, you can help me with this? And I, I, I always have a pretty high opinion about myself. If you, if you don't know, hang out with me. You'll see that that's true. And so I said, sure, I, I can do this. And so he said, well, here's what we're going to do. And so he kind of walked me through it verbally very quickly, and he said, here, you, do, you go ahead and get started on that thing. And so I'm standing there, and, and another guy's standing there, and, and it takes two people to hold it, and you put a little thing on this shoulder and this shoulder, and then the other guy's standing here. And, and then the auger spins, and it pushes itself, digs itself, twirls itself down into the ground. And, and if you hold the right resistance, rather than it sucking itself into the ground, it'll pull the dirt up. Well, that's what it's supposed to do if you have knowledgeable people who've done it before. And I remember feeling the tension of, I've never really, I don't know why I said I could do this. I I should make it clear that I really don't know what I'm doing. And and that tension, that internal tension I felt, well, long story short, um, we were supposed to set about 50 post 
that day, and we ended up setting two because the first one went fairly well. The second one, we buried the auger, and we couldn't get it out. Now, that's not the only time I've ever done that. This church used to own some property, and we were putting up a sign, and a couple of the staff guys and I, and I'm the one with experience, and we went out and rented the machine, and it was very cold, and we buried that thing right into the ground. And so, yeah, bottom line is, have you ever felt that tension where you wanted to do something, but at the same time, something inside says, I'm not fully qualified. I don't know if I can measure up. I don't know if I have the skills it's going to take to do that. You know, every follower of Jesus who've ever stepped across the line and began to engage, not the what am I going to get out of it policy, but the principle of how can I give back, every person that's ever stepped across that line, they have felt that tension. I wonder if I can make a difference. I wonder if I have the skill sets to do it. I wonder if I have the time to do it. I wonder if it'll make a difference. I wonder if I'll enjoy it. I wonder if it's going to leave me empty. That tension that you and I feel, that's normal. Here's the way I want to say it. It's normal to feel the tension when we sense God is urging us to serve in a setting for which we feel ill-equipped or inadequate, or we don't have all the resources, or it's brand new, or we're not familiar with the thing, or we've never done it before, or it's in a spiritual environment, and we've used similar skills in our work life, but we don't know how to do it. That is the most normal thing in the world. It's normal. You feel it every time you step out to do something new. Some of you are more extroverted, and you like adventure, and it's a little easier for you to cross the line. Some of you, you're not really wired that way, and it's a little harder for you, but everybody has felt that tension. Now, when it comes to followers of Jesus, here's what I want you to understand about that tension you feel. That's not just an emotional thing. That tension you feel at its root for followers of Jesus to step across the line when you feel God calling you to engage a situation, to help somebody out, to lean in there, that is a faith issue. That is a faith issue. It's God wanting to stretch and exercise your faith muscle and cause it to grow. I, I don't work out, that's obvious, right? Um, but I have in, in times past engaged it for a week or two, um, almost every January. And, and, and one of the things the, the folks that are fully uh, on board with that process will tell you that the way your muscles grow isn't just by normally using them, but it's by overusing them. It's by f- stretching their capacity, lifting more weights than you normally lift, lifting them more often than you normally lift them, lifting them for a longer time than you normally, when you do that, the muscles get stretched and exercised, and they actually, they actually break down to a certain degree, and then the body responds and builds them up with more than what was originally there. That's a great way to understand what God does with our faith. And in the seaworthy message series, we've been talking about how does God want to grow our faith? How is it getting us ready? Are we passing the normal checkpoints as followers of Christ, just the normal ones, not the ones for super Christians? Are we walking through the normal checkpoints so that if God wants to release our life onto the open seas, we're fully ready for it? One of the things God wants to do is stretch and grow our faith. He wants to pull us into that place, that destiny that he has for us. Now, to varying degrees, people in this church, since long before we ever held our first service, have been learning this principle. I remember when I first sensed God calling me to do this thing. It happened because a, a friend of mine spoke into my life and he said, I think you should think about this. My first gut level response, what I first said to him was, no, 
I mean, literally, he said, I think you should do this. And I said, not going to happen. I'm going to go do this other thing that's safer, it felt to me, that would be more enjoyable, that would meet the needs and the tension I'm feeling right in that moment. I, I was going to go to Arizona and uh, pastors, because the West is cool, man. It's, it's just, we're in the Midwest, and it's, you know, like half as cool as the West, because it's mid. And, and so I was going to go there, and, and I, but, but something happened in me, and I felt this tension. And, and over the next few days, I wanted I wanted to, and yet I felt this internal tension of, could I? Do, do I have the capacity? I came face-to-face with my own sense of limitations. I came face-to-face with the sense that even if I gave it my best and had certain abilities, which I knew I had certain abilities, there was no way in my own power I could do all that was required. So I, I sat around with a group of family and friends, and I said, do, do you guys think? And they're like, we think, we think you can, and that began to, you know, add to my faith, to my confidence. But at the end of the day, I realized that no matter how much effort and work we put into it, there was always going to come a point where whenever what we did what we could do, there would come a point where it wouldn't be effective. It wasn't going to go all the way that we would do what we could do, but at some point, God would have to do what he does. For every person that's ever committed their life to Christ, There was a relationship of influence often. There was a sermon often, a a teaching that powerfully impacted their life. There were circumstances happening to them. There was a readiness in them. But no, no person who blessed them, no speaker who spoke into their life, no person who, who, um, who opened a door for them or shared with them some actually saved that person. No, the speaker, the friend who loved on, the person who blessed, the person who held the door open, they, they did what they could do, but it was God who took all of that and used it for the blessing in that person. Those folks did what they could do, then God had to do what only he can do. I'm drilling down on this point because I want to let you know something. That is the way the Christian life works. That is the way that God works in our hearts. One of the fundamental challenges in every believer's life, regularly, not once, you and I will face it throughout our life with Christ, is how are we going to respond when we sense God pulling us in a new direction? When we sense him stretching us, are we going to give in to the fear? Are we going to resist the urge to stay in our comfort zone? Or are we going to open up and let the Holy Spirit do his work in us and through us. We have a great opportunity today to ask ourselves, for you to ask you, for me to ask me, God, am I ready right now to do what you're putting in front of me? Is there a big yes in my heart? And if not, what are those hesitancies? What is the source of the fear? Where is the the sense of disequilibrium coming from the truth is is god wants to stretch and exercise your faith muscle and mine and cause it to grow and the way it's going to look is is he's going to call you and me into some new reality to stretch us beyond our normal comfort zones he's going to cause us and call us to want to go to somebody that we may not know and it's going to stretch us just in our personality He's going to cause us to share some truth that we feel like maybe we don't even have a full grasp of and we don't fully understand. And what if they ask a question and I don't know the answer to it? He's going to cause us to step out and give more emotion and emotionally connect in a way that we, and, and maybe we feel like we're emotionally bankrupt at the moment. And It's what he does. 
because he wants us to come to a point where we realize that we can't do it all, and that's okay. It's okay. You don't have to do all of it. What God calls his followers to do is to do what they can do and expect God to come alongside and do what we can't do and to make that a normal, daily, almost reality in our lives. Here's the truth, friends. Some of you have relational goofiness in your marriage right now. It's not the way it should be. It's not fully God-honoring. You're aware. Your spouse is aware. And you've tried to do what you can do. So, you know, maybe you're the one that's worked hard, tried to get over the thing, and you've tried to do what you can do. And it hasn't fully clicked. Let me, know, let me, let me let, let you know something. You're on the right path. You're not responsible to make your spouse fully get on board. You know what you're responsible to do in your marriage? You're supposed to bring your best. You're supposed to honor God as a disciple, honor God as a wife, honor God as a husband, and give that as a gift to your spouse. Give that as obedience unto the Lord, and then expect God to come alongside and do what you can't do. Maybe it's soften your spouse's heart. Maybe it's reveal to them a truth. Some of you have kids, and, and, and it's not quite the way it should be. You know what you're supposed to do? Honor God in the way you parent. Honor God in the way you talk. Honor God in the way you engage. Engage them. Honor them. Attempt to bless them. But at the end of the day, you're not responsible for fully how they respond. So what you do is you do your best and expect God to come alongside and do what only he can do. We find Jesus and the disciples in just such a kind of life lesson in Matthew chapter 14. Here's how Matthew chapter 14 begins, in, uh, in verse 13 at least. We're, we're part of the way through the chapter. Here's what it says. When Jesus heard what had happened. Now let me tell you what had happened because we're not going to read those verses. I want to get to the points that are important for our part today. But Jesus had heard that John, his cousin and beloved friend, had died. In fact, he had been killed by the king um, because he had dared to speak against the king's behavior. And the king didn't like it. And the person the king was doing it with didn't like it. And so... They had him killed, and this broke Jesus' heart. Like on an earthly level, this was his friend. It was his cousin, somebody he loved. It was somebody he had had an emotional connection with, and it just broke his heart. And so Jesus, when he heard that John had been killed, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. He wanted to be alone. He wanted to, to grieve. <laughs> but on hearing this, the crowds, like the ones who like to hear him talk, the ones who like to see the miracles, the ones who like to be blessed while they're around him, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So he gets in a boat, he's going to cross the water, they walk around the lake to get to where he's going. Everywhere they can anticipate the boat going, that's where they show up. It's, it's almost as if they're saying, we, we know you need to grieve, but we don't really care. We have needs, Jesus. We have needs. And by the way, if you're in ministry, <laughs> if you step out, if you decide to engage a family member and help them, here, here's one of the challenges you're going to face. Just a little side note here. Sometimes their sense of need and their sense of urgency is greater than you believe your capacity is. And a lot of times it is. In fact, most of the time, their need is greater than your capacity to fully meet the need. Jesus struggled with that emotional thing. That's why he was often in the Bible going away to a solitary place to re-engage his God, to re-engage the Father, to pray, to rest. But when he saw the crowds, here's what it says. Hearing this, the crowd followed him on foot. In verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He didn't get to rest. He just re-engaged again. 
In verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say this. This has been reading into the text, but I think the disciples, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but these are like supposed to be the superheroes of the faith. These are like, you know, the Batman, Superman, you know, uh, of the faith. And, um, and when you read the Bible, one of the reasons I love the Bible is the Bible doesn't paint them as the perfect followers of Jesus. It paints them as the normal followers of Jesus who have struggles, who miss the point, who have to be pulled along, sometimes kicking and screaming, it seems, to do what God wants them to do. They're, they don't get it all the time. They're not always the one with the super spiritual answer and the significant insight. They're the ones who struggle. And I think this is one of those places and, 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 and in keeping with the disciples' kind of normal way of behaving, I think what's going on here is the disciples are the ones that are hungry. And they want to go get some food, and they're tired of the crowds, and they're like, get rid of these people, Jesus. Let them go back and eat. We're in a you know, deserted place. And then verse 16, this is where the lesson begins. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And so the disciples said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, the disciples had a good ability to evaluate what's really going on. I mean, their insights aren't wrong. Deserted place, no stores, no marketplace, people are hungry. Let's call it a day, Jesus. You send them away. You're tired, we're tired. Send them away. They'll go get something to eat. No, you know, tomorrow's a new day kind of thing. But Jesus is going to use this normal course of life to teach his disciples a lesson. And the lesson isn't simply going to be, hey, I love people and have compassion on them. They've already seen that. He's healed them when he didn't really, you know, when he was already emotionally pulled. He's already reached out and had compassion on the crowd. So it's not just a simple compassion, love people. He wanted to show his disciples something internal that happens to them. Motivated by compassion, sometimes motivated by a great sense of need, sometimes motivated by a sense of urgency. I find myself in the middle of this situation. I just need to respond. So the compassion matters, but beyond that, there's a dynamic he wants to show them. So they say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, and the crowd is humongous. It's not enough food. Now, the disciples here use the size of the crowd and their lack of food as excuses to not do what Jesus asked. And again, these aren't the super Christians. These are the people when we read about them, we're supposed to see ourselves there. So when I ever read the Bible and I find the disciples giving excuses or hesitating, I always ask myself an internal question. Well, what excuses have I used? When I have sensed the pull of God, and followers of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. You see a need and you sense, sometimes it, it's stated like this internally, someone should do something. And you feel like an emotional softness towards the thing. And some of us, the way we're wired, our first response to that is, someone needs to engage. Someone should. Let me tell you what that really is. Most of the time, I won't say all the time, but most of the time, that's God softening your heart for a reason. And often that reason is so that you can begin to engage the thing. Or somebody tells us a story, and, and you think as you're hearing that, you know, I, I have something I could share that would be, but I don't, I don't really want to get involved. Or I, I don't have time right now, or, or I can't take it all the way. Or I don't want to sound like a, 
And yet there's this person at work talking about a thing, and there's a marriage thing, and you know that, that maybe you've gone through a similar thing, or, or we've talked about it here at church, and you could at least give them a little bit of light in a new direction, and, and instead it's just pleasantries. And why do, why do we... Those are opportunities right there where God is opening a door for you and me to step through and to serve others, to value them right where they are. Sometimes it's in the form of writing a check. Sometimes it's in the form of emotional engagement. Often it's in the form of engaging your calendar. And I want to put these three up here because this is typically, I think, where we feel the tension. Calendar, money, and emotions. Usually, when I'm resisting engaging somebody in need, and the need is in front of me, and I'm there, and I can, and I've thought about it, it's touched my heart, and I resist, there's an internal about it, it's usually about one of these three things. Do I have the time? Do I want to invest the time? If I invest the time, is it going to be worth my time? I have a challenge around money. Is there going to be a return for the investment? What, what do I need to think through on the money? Do I have the extra money? Do I... Or it's around, for me a lot of times, I think this is what Jesus was kind of getting at. He was just exhausted by the whole John thing and the crowds are always there. Do I have the emotional capacity? And am I going to be able to engage and then disengage? Or is it going to like suck the life out of me for the next six months? I don't know what your excuses are. In this case, here's what the, disgui- the, the disciples' excuse was. And it made perfect, normal sense. It was logical. It was, we only have a few fish. A couple loaves of bread. I mean, look at the size of the crowd, Jesus. I can't make any real difference. What excuses have you used? The disciples of Jesus in the Bible, the ones we read about, Matthew and, 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 and John and Peter, James, the disciples of Jesus often forget to consider what I'm just going to call the Jesus factor when we make our excuses. That's true in the Bible. And can I be completely candid with you? That's true in my life. Forget to consider the Jesus factor. The disciples gave Jesus what they had to work with, the few loaves and fish. He said, bring them to me. And he blessed it, and then he gave it back to them to distribute to the people. And then they simply did what they had the capacity to do. They took what he gave them, and they began to distribute the fish and the bread. They didn't, you know, I I suppose, try to figure out how to ration it. They simply obeyed what he said to do. Begin to give this stuff out. Start giving this stuff out. No one standing there that day, no one, would have considered that the fish and the loaves were things that Jesus might want to use in a miraculous way. It seemed like just the normal, customary, somebody needs to eat, we're engaging But the Jesus factor works this way. The God factor works this way. He takes the normal stuff that we can do when we engage, when we feel him calling us, asking us, he takes the normal stuff we can do and he blesses it. And when he blesses it, miraculous stuff happens. This is normal in the believer's life, or at least God wants it to be. And I think that we've done a really good job of making things sound less than miraculous when really God is at work all around us. We don't see it or acknowledge it, but what the disciples here did is they took what they thought they only had a little bit of, 
what they maybe needed to ration or reserve or hold back, and they gave that. And when they gave that, God took it, blessed it, multiplied it, and it ended up meeting everybody's need. Here, here's the deal, friends. Here's what's at stake every time you feel that pull. It isn't just that people need to be served. Your faith is at stake. My faith is at stake every time because God wants to do something in us every time he asks to work through us. Every time. And the fear and hesitancy that you and I feel when, when we feel pulled in a direction, we sense God leading us, is not designed simply to prevent other people from being blessed. It's designed to keep your faith and my faith from growing. Let me show you the rest of this story. Matthew chapter 14, verse 18. Bring them here. Bring the loaves of fish to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And he'd taken the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples then did what they could do, gave them to the people. And then here's where the miracle begins to happen. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. It's just ironic that it was 12. One whole basket of food for each of the people distributing the food. They thought, I don't have enough. And maybe they didn't go through this thing. They were just simply looking. But they had an emotional, no, we can't do that. And when they were done doing it, when they finally engaged, there was a whole basket left over for each of them. God showed them that he doesn't just want to work through them and use them up. He wants to fill them up while they're stepping into the thing that they're resisting doing. With what talent, what skill, what expertise, what experience, what ability do you have like the loaves and fish that don't appear to be things that God could use in a significant way? The disciples did what they knew how to do, pass out food, and then God did what only he can do, multiplied it, used it to fill people up, to satisfy their needs, to meet them right where they were. And we do what we can do, and we offer that to the Lord. God comes alongside and does what only he can do. Now, I want to show you the part that people forget in this story. It's the next few verses where the real point gets drawn out for us. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, here's what the Bible says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, anytime there's the word immediately, it usually means there's a connection between what you're about to read and what was happening before, that they're connected. All right, so this wasn't a long lag in time. These things are connected. Immediately is the word that the biblical writers often use. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. They're satisfied now. Their needs have been met. Now they can go home. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it was buffeted in the waves because the wind was against it. A big storm has come up. The disciples are there. Jesus is not with them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, out in fear. That would be normal, normal response. That's probably what I would say. People don't walk on water. That's not normal. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. And then Peter. Peter's going to show that the lesson Jesus was trying to teach about the loaves and fish, he's trying to show that he got it. He's going to demonstrate that he got it. He said, Lord, if it's you, 
If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Invite me to come. Ask me to come to you. Peter had learned that if Jesus is going to be a part of it, and if Jesus is asking you to do something, if he asks you to do it and you step out to do it, guess what he's already learned? You're going to be okay. Peter learned through the loaves and the fish that it's just loaves and fish, but if I give it because the Lord put on my heart to do it, if I offer it because the Lord put on my heart to do it, when I offer that thing, it's going to be all right. Lord, in the middle of this storm, invite me to come to you. And then the Lord says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And the other disciples, I'm sure, are sitting in the boat going, oh, I wish I would have asked that. I'm always Johnny come lately on this sort of thing. Whoa, look, he's walking on the water. Now, Peter's entire lesson wasn't over. He has a little bit further to go with the Lord. This is the way the the Lord works in people's lives. In verse 30, it says, but when Peter, he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. So even in his sense of being overwhelmed, he has already internalized the lesson. You go to God. Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, oh, you of little. And here's our important word, faith. What's at stake when God presses on our heart to do, to obey, to reach, to give? What's at stake is your faith, my faith. Oh, you have little faith. Why, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, worshipped him saying, truly, you're the son of God. I mean, I'm sure they were sitting around going, whoa, uh, the fish and loaves, that's pretty, this is amazing. You're the son of God. And Jesus is showing him that he's trustworthy, that he can be relied upon. And this is exactly the lesson he wants to teach each of us and to cause us to come to the place where internally, in the middle of the storm, as we see God work in our lives, to come to that place where internally we go, you're the son of God. How, how else am I going to live but to give my life to you? You're the Lord of the universe. You're in charge. I can trust you with everything I have. I can trust you with my desires. I can trust you with my fears. I can trust you with my hurts. I can trust you with my insecurities. I can trust you with my abilities. I can trust you with my resources. I can trust you with my family. Teach me that lesson, Lord. Show me I can trust you. Lord, invite me to come. I mean, disciples of Jesus have that on their heart. And they don't know how they're going to fully meet the thing. They don't know how they're going to fully arrive at the thing. But their attitude is, God, I'm going to do what I can do. There's some things I can do. I know how to smile. I know how to talk to people. I know how to change a diaper. I know how to bless a person over here. I know how to engage in this situation. I know how to organize. I'm just going to do what I know how to do. I'm gonna, I, I don't know how I'm going to fix it all, but I'm going to do what I know how to do. God, I'm going to trust you to do the rest. Your faith in that moment is growing. And it's growing to a place where it's easier for you to see that he is Lord. Which is exactly where he wants you and me to be. This is what has allowed this church to grow. It isn't because we're smarter, brighter, wealthier, better planners. We have a lot of all that stuff going on in us. What we have had over the course of our almost nine years publicly and ten and a half years or so, you know, since there was a concept, 
We have had people who have regularly said, I think it's bigger than me. Would you do it with me? Because I'm a little afraid. Totally fine. And then they looked at God and said, God, you, this is, we're responding to you. Use us. Take it. Bless it. Multiply it. Use it to bless people. But God, do your work in me while you're doing it. Many of us have found that he has filled our baskets. Do you want to know who learns the most in our kids' rooms when somebody's trying to teach the simple lesson to our toddlers? You want to know who learns the most? Can I tell you? Ask them. Not the toddlers. You want to know whose basket gets filled the most? (laughs) It's the teachers. You want to know who gets blessed around here? When somebody stands at the front door and smiles, well, so of course it's our guests who come in and feel warmly welcomed. But it's the smiler who gets to see them return and then uh, maybe in a few months gets to watch them be baptized and they know internally they were a part of that. And what did they, they, they didn't make the person get baptized. We can't control that. No, they did what they could do. They smiled, they warmly welcomed, they learned their name. And over time, God took that and began to work in it and work in them and work through them to accomplish his plan and purpose in this world. Let me ask you a question. Are you glad somebody served you? Do you know that you and I are the beneficiaries of others who stepped out before we did? In my case, it was a pastor's wife who began to teach me the scriptures in a little Sunday school class. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And she turned me on to a love of scripture. It was reinforced in my home. And she wasn't responsible for all that God was going to do in my life, but she taught me that passage, and somehow it began to take root. And I'm certain she had no idea fully what was going to happen. There's no way she could have, but she did what she could do, and God began to use that. You and I are beneficiaries. Somebody took a chance, faced his fears, her fears, and stepped out through the door into insecurity, into the unknown in order to serve you and me. And God used that effort to impact our lives. Parents, if your kids are involved in student ministries here and they're engaged in small groups, there's someone who has set aside time to invest in your kids, to love them relationally, to create an environment where they can have spiritual conversations, to share with them in a practical way God's word. And they don't know all that's going to happen in your kid's life, but on a practical level, here's what they're doing. God, I'm going to do what I can do. And would you take it, Lord? And would you cause it to take root in that kid's life? I don't know what you're going to do with their life, God. I don't know how you're going to raise them up. But I'm going to trust you. Do they do it because they have all the time in the world? No. The best and most effective volunteers in our church are the busiest people. Do they do it because they have a lot of money so that while they're doing church stuff, they can hire people to do other? Nope. Across the spectrum of this church, we have people in all economic uh, levels and strata. And some of our most effective people are just good old middle class people. They do it because deep down they believe that God pulled and urged and moved. And they didn't know fully what it would all mean, but they took a step. And you know what happened? God blessed people through them. And they got filled. And the enemy hates it. And God's work goes forward. You know what's at stake if you don't respond to God's pulling and prodding? Your growth. I don't care if you're 16 years old in here. God has a place for you to begin stepping forward. In this church, more than any church I've known, you don't have to wait until you're grown up. 
an adult recognized right where you are you can begin serving we have kids right now serving in capacities throughout this building and you know what they're already learning on a pace faster than a lot of us adults and mature people that if i step forward god will bless it and if i make myself available god will fill me and maybe they don't articulate it fully and maybe they're not maybe they're kind of where peter is and they still falter but they're learning the lessons of faith and the kingdom of god is advancing and they are growing I want for you. And some of you, I'll just be honest, you need to step further. Some of you need to you know, shake off whatever it is that's holding you and take that one step of faith and see what God does. So I wanted to grab out your connect card and let's take a few steps together. Well, while you're getting that out, let me just tell you, um, I'm pretty passionate about this because I have seen what happens when God lights a fire, starts as a nudging, as an urging, and it usually looks like serve someone, help here, bless here. And it almost always looks like do what you can do, and then watch me, watch me, God says, watch me. So I wonder, if there's anybody in the room that would say, Ben, I don't know about this Jesus thing, and, but I, I think I'd like to give my life to him. I'm not really sure what it all would look like. I don't know what it all means. I'm let me, let me make it clear to you. Because of the grace of God, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to take a shower spiritually and get cleaned up and then come to him. Right where you are, you can begin a life with Jesus, a relationship with him that looks like you acknowledging, I'm not perfect, God. I'm a sinner. That's what your word tells me. The Bible tells me I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've blown it. And yet I want you to cover my sin. I want you to forgive me. And then it looks like you're saying, and I want you to lead my life. Forgive me, new start, and then I'm going to actually begin with you. If you want to do that, we ask you to check next step A on your connect card. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And you can use my words, you can use your own to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And check the box when the offering comes by later. Put the card in the offering box, and we're going to send you some information about that. Just to help encourage you along the way and explain to you how beautiful a relationship with Jesus is and wonderful it is. And next step B, I want to get baptized. I want to go public with my faith. For some of you, that, honestly, that's the step. That's the step. You'd be surprised how awesome and freeing it is to obey God in this very public way, to go public and say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm grateful for what he's done in my life. I want the world to know. How about next step C? I wonder if anybody would say, Ben, I, I'm stirred by what you said. I don't know what to do with it yet. So here, maybe here's your step. I'm going to pray this week. Lord, please invite me to come to you. That's what Peter said. Please invite me to come to you. God, please call me. Please use me. Please call on me. Please impress on me. Show me where I can step up. God, show me, show me, show me. Call me. I feel like if you pray that prayer and, and, and you're sincere, I think God will open doors for you. And then you'll have that tension moment. Will I step or will I with, with, withhold? How about next step? D. I'm going to schedule a conversation this week with a Four Corners team leader about serving on Sundays or during the week as a part of the team at Four Corners. Here's how you schedule that meeting. You check the box and one of our team leaders will call you. If you're not sure where to step, we'll help you. And we don't, we don't have a slot for you, but we'll help you discover how God's wired you and find a place that fits and we'll try it. And if it doesn't work, then hey, we'll find a new spot. But we're committing to this church being a place where people regularly get the opportunity to step in and experience that place of faith 
and experience what it is to be filled up and to bless others. How about next step E? I'm going to take a real step towards investing at a level I already sense God wanted me to invest in the ministry here in this place. This is a vague one a bit on purpose because I want you to say to yourself, God, here's where I am, but are you wanting me to, are are you wanting me, God, to, and just ask that question, God, if you want me to go deeper, if you want me to give more, I'll do it. Let's pray about those things right now. Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the scriptures where you have given us testimony of how you interact with us. I want to thank you for Jesus, your son who gave his life, but not just his life as a one-time gift, who continually gives. God, without you, we're nothing. Without you, we're we're just good hopes and good-hearted. But with you, God, we make a difference. Thank you. Lord, I lift up each person in this room who's saying right now, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Lead my life. I don't know all that it means, but I want to commit my life to you. God, I pray for each person who wants to honestly pray this prayer this week. In fact, they're praying it right now. Lord, call me to come to you. Show me. Open doors for me. Give me an understanding. Help me to sense what you're calling me to do. God, I pray for those around this church that have been serving and they're giving God. Fill their baskets. Fill them up. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.